one more sermon in the Psalms, and then I'll return to our uh, journey through the book of Revelation. Okay, so that's next week. Uh, back to Revelation next week. So this morning we're looking at Psalm 144. Psalm 144. I invite you to turn in your own Bibles there and follow along as I read. Psalm 144. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon the ten-stringed harp, I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servants, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut from the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. This is the word of God. I invite you to pray with me as we prepare. God, this is your word. Breathe out as it were by your spirit, and we need it. It is our daily bread. And we know that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that, word that comes from your mouth. So, so God, we need this word. We need to hear it. And you've chosen that your word should be proclaimed through human instruments, and being that instrument this morning, Father, I ask for a special measure of your grace. Uh, nothing of eternal or lasting good can come of what I say, apart from your spirit working above and beyond and below and around. And so we pray that you would take these feeble words and do glorious things in our hearts and minds. And all glory for whatever is accomplished will go to you. And we pray that that would happen, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, maybe you've, uh, you've seen this bumper sticker morsel of wisdom. Life is hard, then you die. Doesn't sound optimistic or even encouraging, but the cynical proverb somehow has a little bit of a ring of truth to it, right? It's, it's implied. It's implied when you ask a friend during a particular challenge, you might have said this, how goes the battle? Life is certainly a gift from God. We, I hope we all acknowledge that. But we know this as well, just experientially. Life is not without its challenges. And, it, and as Christians, of course, we understand why. We know why the challenges are there. The reasons are, are all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. It's a sin problem that creates difficulty in the world. Now, many here are 
daily occupied with defending this nation, being in a military town. Many of you make your, your regular work that of defending us collectively, and I thank you for that. Uh, you've used those, some of you have used those skills in various armed conflicts, maybe directly or, or indirectly in some kind of support operation. But whether it is in wartime or peace, life inevitably, inevitably involves overcoming opposition and obstacles, be those obstacles a, a hostile nation, or maybe that obstacle is simply a lack of opportunity and experience, or, I think for most of us, that obstacle being the sinful inclinations even of our own flesh, right? And each of us, as image bearers of God, we are called to do good. We're called to produce, to nourish, to protect both people and resources using time and abilities and treasure that has been entrusted to us by God. That is, that is upon each of us. Now, in this psalm, Psalm 144, this is attributed to King David. What he's doing is he's praising God for success in the task that was entrusted to him. His task, his anointing to defend Israel from enemies, to expand its borders, to provide an environment where God's people, the Lord's people, could ultimately thrive underneath the law of God and then, as a result of that, function in the, in the world as, as a beacon of light that ultimately pointed to the goodness, to the goodness and mercy of God. That was his task. Now, of course, ours is different. There are things that we can understand, however, from this psalm that do apply to us today. That's what I want to focus on. And I want to do that by organizing our thoughts here this morning and, and ultimately seek to make some application around three imperative verbs. Three imperative verbs. And I'll give you those verbs up front. Uh, and I'll fill in the object of the imperatives as I, as I go along. So here, first of all, just up front, here are those imperative verbs. The first one is acknowledge. The second verb, pray. And the third one is trust. Acknowledge, pray, and trust. Now first, first imperative, acknowledge. And here's, here's the object. Acknowledge that God gives abilities. Acknowledge that God gives you abilities. Now, if you're uniquely skilled in something, maybe you have above average leadership abilities. Maybe you've got that uncanny business sense where you just know how to make money. You know, you know how, to, how to run a business. Or maybe you're uniquely uh, able with artistic or, or musical abilities, and, and it, it is the praise of many. And I'm sure where you are, if you are like that, or whatever your particular skill is, I'm sure that you can point to various influences and opportunities that brought you to this point in your life. There are parents, of course, and mentors and coaches, but not, not to mention even your own internal inclinations and motivation. But there is something, there is something, someone, I would argue, above and beyond all of that. Let's take us to verses 1 through 4 of the psalm. We look at this psalm. King David is acknowledging, we must acknowledge, I should say, that King David was a uh, a mighty warrior. The Bible does tell us that. Uh, when Israel was faced with a threat in battle from the Philistines, he was confident, you may know the story, he was confident that he would prevail over that giant Goliath. Because, as, as he 
testified he had already fought and prevailed over lions and bears. He prepared himself for battle with, with that giant with five stones and a, and a sling. And he used only one. Later, David was credited with striking down 10,000 enemies in battle as compared to kings at the time, King Saul's thousands. So David was clearly uniquely able. And for the sake of Israel, of course, David needed to be. He needed that ability, but he knew where that came from. Look at the beginning of the psalm. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. So he's trusting in the Lord. And he says this, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. The Lord trained his hands for war. The Lord made his fingers able for battle. And he knew why. He knew why the Lord did that. Verse 2. He says, he is my steadfast love. He is my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. And he in whom I take refuge, who's, who subdues people under me. But at the same time, even while he understands his own skill, that the Lord had given him this ability, he was no one, under no illusion at all about himself and humankind in general in relationship to God. And he says this in verse 3, O oh Lord. What is man that you regard him? Or, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days like a passing shadow. My life is, is insignificant. What, what am I in comparison to you? And yet, and yet the Lord saves and sets a part of people unto himself. David understood that because of God's particular grace to him, he, like a host of other faithful Israelites, believed God's promises and was ultimately set apart. Now, if you're a child of God today, it's because of God's grace. You have to acknowledge that. If you're a child of God today, it's because you understand that your forgiveness was secured for you before God for all of your sin. It was secured for you before God by the Son of God who died in your place. Understanding that is what makes you a child of God. And if you've truly understood that reality, the very Spirit of God indwells you. Reflecting on God's wisdom to save his people, this is in Romans 11. The Apostle Paul there ends with this doxology. It's beautiful. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now you may wonder why, where I'm going with this. That all things, nothing is excluded from that. Obviously, that's logical. All things, nothing is excluded. All things being from him, from the Lord, through him and to him. And that has implications for how you and I live. I hope you see that. It has implications for what you do with your abilities. Just to reinforce the point, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, he's exhorting the Corinthians to, to pursue holiness and to set aside and put aside uh, deeds of the flesh. And he reminds them, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price. You don't own you. You've been bought. That price being the blood of Jesus. Now just set us, setting aside for a moment the utter evil of disposing with the unborn abortion. Doing that for convenience. That mantra that we've heard over and over again, my body, my choice, it could not be further from the truth. It is this body you live in, it is God's body. And he has trained your hands for war. He has trained your mind to know how to lead. That's what you do. He has given you diligence to study. He has given you a heart and a mind to, to be creative or, or solve problems. He's given you hands to build. He's given you scientific ability to, to research. He's given you time to serve. You have abilities. Don't, don't make the mistake of sitting there thinking, I don't have any skills. The Bible absolutely says otherwise. 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now we already established that the Spirit indwells, with, indwells you, right? You've been bought with a price. You have the Holy Spirit. So there are varieties of gifts, abilities, but the same Spirit who resides in you. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each. That's a fact. And the purpose of those abilities that you have been given, that's also a fact. For the common good. For the common good. So, so what is this common good? And I would suggest to you this morning, as we're reflecting on this psalm, David's hands were trained for war. The common good of the abilities that you have been giving, given, that good is that which overcomes evil. The good in you, the good you do, is helping others to turn away from evil and to live a life of obedience. That good results in glory for God. Now, the Apostle Peter says it this way, and we sang this a moment ago. Hear the words again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And he gets specific. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you've, you've got to acknowledge it. Acknowledge that God has given you abilities. So what are you doing with them? Are you stewarding? Are you using what God has entrusted to you for his glory? Now, it's certainly for the glory of God that you serve the ones entrusted to you in your immediate family. And as we prayed for Andrea, who's in, in Korea, tending to her mother, she is using her gifts. She is in a unique place and has a responsibility to care for her mother as she is dying. But God has also entrusted to each of us a spiritual family, the church. And he's given us one another so that 
by our service among one another, we've put the love of Christ on display. That's both for the glory of God, but it's also, in a horizontal sense, for the witness of the church. There's a story in the Bible, it's in, in John 13. Perhaps you remember the story how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And I think, just knowing that situation, put yourself in that circumstance there, that's a, I think we can all agree that that's kind of a, an uncomfortable act of service. It's not something that I would like to do. And Jesus told his disciples, I, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is an example you should do just as I've done to you. This is what you should do with one another. Now, you miss the point if you think it's only about washing feet. What Jesus taught here was that, that service motivated by love, that would be inconvenient. It would be uncomfortable. It would be sometimes awkward. It would even be distasteful at times. And in short, sacrificial. It costs you something. And I know the battle goes on in your mind. I know. When, when it's regarding service in the body of Christ, right? Sunday's my only day to sleep in. Oh, kids are so hard to work with. I just don't have time to prepare. I, I just need a break from my busy work. I get that. But if you acknowledge that God has trained your hands, that he has trained your mind, that he has made you able, then it follows that it will be for your joy. Not drudgery, but for your joy to spend yourself in service for the glory of God and for the good of others. So acknowledge that God has given you abilities. That's the first imperative. Well, the second is pray. Pray for God to work. Pray for God to work. Now, it's a, it's a simple, practical matter that we all understand. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. If you do nothing, nothing at all will get done. Logical. It's just so basic. We don't expect to pay our bills unless we work. I don't expect my wife to feel loved unless I attempt and try and think about ways to do things that prove I cherish her. I fail often, but I have to think about that. I can't just be passive in it, right? What I have to do is I have to deny the selfish inclinations that are in me. Each of us has them, right? We have to, we have to work past those. We have to find a way to say, no, this isn't about me. So if I don't serve God, and if I don't serve others, if you don't serve God, and you don't serve others, God will not be glorified through you, and others will not be blessed because of you. Now, God will be glorified, don't get me wrong. But he won't be glorified through you. And people will be served, but they will not be blessed through you. But I want you to understand an important nuance in just thinking about how we were created to serve, because we were created to serve. And, and through his praise in this psalm, David teaches us about that. And here's this truth. I want you to pay attention to this. 
we should not trust in the abilities that God gives us. We should trust God through the abilities that he gives us. And I know that's very subtle. We don't trust our skills. We trust God to work through our skills. That's very important. Now, David knew that he had skills. He, he knew he had the skills to defeat Israel's enemies. Yet he prays, and, and look at this in verse 5. He prays for the Lord to show his power. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. He's looking for the power of God. What didn't he say? Well, you trained my hands for war. But David's not running into battle going, I got this. God, you can just go have a cup of tea. No, he says, you trained my hands for war, but, but you need to do the routing. You need to show your power. You need to, to have the smoke in the mountains. You need to make the terrifying scene because there will be no victory apart from you, Lord. See, he has no illusions that just because he knows battle strategy or that he has superior weaponry, he may have, that somehow the victory is guaranteed. Any good that will come as a result of David using his skills is ultimately still in the Lord's hands, as he has said in another psalm. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. You have them. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And it didn't mean that he didn't have horses and chariots, but that's not where victory would be assured. And so he certainly trusts in the Lord. And what that means is he is not, at the same time, idle or passive. He still has to face the enemy in battle. It says this in Proverbs. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. So you do all of that. You prepare. You train. You do everything you need to do. But victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. See, knowing that the enemy is strong, he still ultimately trusts the Lord to rescue him because the enemy of Israel, the ones that are attempting to, to thwart his own responsibility before the Lord to lead Israel, they're not just opposed to him. David knows that the enemy isn't just opposed to him, but they're in fact opposed to God himself. And so he prays, praise, stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from many waters, from the hand of foreigners who, whose mouths speak lies, whose, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. They're just loaded and overloaded with lies. They believe falsehoods. They proclaim falsehoods. They stand against the power of God. Now, you might ask, what does this have to do with you and me? There are often obstacles to you and I fulfilling the tasks that are given to us in the way in which we're called to serve. None of us are kings leading a nation, but we are still stewards, managers of opportunities that God has put before us, and we're stewards of abilities to meet those opportunities. And the obstacles to obedience in service are not always physical. Often they're just spiritual. Not just, but overarchingly they are spiritual. I'll remind you what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians. What he was doing was exhorting the, the believers there in Ephesus to, to be ready for the spiritual battle. And he says this, 
He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle is a spiritual battle. There are things going on that you cannot see. The evil one is hell-bent on bringing as many to the abyss that he can grab. And he wants to thwart everything that you have been called to do for good. And if that is true, we must pray. I want you to consider the Apostle Paul, uniquely chosen as an instrument, as it says in Acts 9.15. He was uniquely chosen, anointed by God, as an instrument to carry the name of Jesus before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's what he was told. So what did he do? Did he just assume success? Well, he asked the Colossians, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He's imprisoned. He can't do much. But of course, there's a team that he has trained up. Pray for us. They had the knowledge, they had the skill. They still needed God to act. They needed to pray. And I'll remind you, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father this way, may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's Prayer, right? Matthew 6.10 is where it says that. That will, may your will be done on earth, that will is often worked out through people stewarding the abilities that he's given to them. Isn't that true? May your will be done. Does God just sort of rearrange everything? Does God just sort of speak it into existence like he created the world? I mean, he could do that. We acknowledge that he has the power. But the way God's will is ultimately accomplished is through people obeying his will and serving. And so if you pray for God's will in that way, you've got to know that his will may very well and likely will, involve you. So, let me give you an example. If you pray, Lord, comfort my friend who is grieving, does that not also imply that you are to be available to be that comfort? If you pray, save my unbelieving friend, should you not expect to share the gospel as well, or at least lead them to someone who will? So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, pray. First of all, pray that you would actually steward the abilities that he's entrusted to you. But then as you prepare to serve using those abilities, pray that God will work. Pray that God will work through the lesson that you've prepared for the children in Sunday school or church for kids or Awana. Pray if you're serving as a greeter at the door. Pray, Lord, I, I just want to be a blessing to these people. God, give me courage. Help me not to be shy. Whatever that obstacle may be. When you prepare to lead in a song, pray, God, keep my voice from cracking. <laughs> Help me not to be a distraction. 
as you notice that newcomer in the row in front of you, pray. Pray. God, give me welcoming words. Before you take your turn at the check-in desk, pray. God, help me do this well so that the children and families are served. Before you make that, that phone call to encourage a friend, pray. God, give me words. Give me words that will lift them up. Pray. When you, when you simply just come to church without any particular duty that day, pray that somehow God will use you to be an encouragement to serve in some way that you had not even planned. Pray for God to work through you. Now, every time you hear me preach, and you already prayed this way, I pray. It's not a mere formality to me. I really believe this in my heart. I, I'm committed and I work to be faithful to proclaim this, but I, I still got to pray. God, you're going to have to do something here. My words, they have no power. The word of God has power. So I pray. Because only God can change the hearts of people. I, I can't do that. The Bible says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe you've memorized that, Philippians 4.13. But the corollary is true. Without the strength of Christ, even for the most gifted, without the strength of Christ, I can do nothing. So, pray. The third, the third verbal imperative, trust. Trust that God blesses. Now, I'm going to skip to the end of the psalm. It says this, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. True statement. We are blessed. If you belong to the Lord, you are blessed. Now, as, as king of Israel, David understands that he has been anointed by God to be this leader and protector for the sake of the people of God that God has set apart to himself. So God has anointed David to be king for the sake of God's own people. David is a servant of the Lord in leading Israel. Having acknowledged that God has equipped him in his task, and in what he states in this psalm, trained his hands to defend them against their enemies, he had prayed for God to act and show his power to defeat them. Now he asks the Lord to, to bless the nation. And that's verses 12 through 15. And you can see there, I'll just summarize it. He prays that there would be many thriving children born to them. He prays that, asks for, for crops and herds, for them to be abundant. And he prays that there would be safety and security for the people. Life provision and security. I mean, it's just, it's so basic. And he says in verse 15, blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. You know, when David asked for that, he was just simply claiming what God had already promised. These are things that God had promised. This goes back to the covenant that the Lord made with Abram. I'll remind you what it says there in Genesis 12. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That blessing would be for offspring and, and abundance and that they would occupy the land and fill it up. David simply acknowledging what the Lord had already promised, in effect, claiming it. Now, for Israel and for David in this psalm, the blessing would not mean that there were not battles to fight. The blessing wasn't the absence of conflict. And I think we understand that, brothers and sisters in Christ, in this mortal existence, it isn't blessing or battle as if they're opposites, right? David experienced the blessings of God through the challenges. He had to fight against opticals, opticals, op obstacles and opposition just like we do. And those may be enemies without, beyond us, persecution. But I would suggest that the greater enemy to all of us is the one within our own hearts. It's our own sinful inclinations. Now, that's our natural state. If you're a child of God today, it is because you have trusted Christ. He has fought that ultimate battle for you. He has won the war against sin. And if you're a child of God today, it's because you believe that he took your sin to the cross and died for you. You believe that he broke the power, and you've experienced this. You know that he broke the power of sin over you, that he suffered in your place so that you might enjoy the eternal blessings of fellowship with God. You believe that he rose from that grave, guaranteeing that you will one day be raised like him. That knowledge, that is the ultimate blessing. And the Lord has in store for all of us who are in Christ future blessings. Future blessings. As it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. That's present tense. Has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In a sense as if the stuff is being stored up for us. There are present blessings to be sure. The fellowship that we can have with God through Christ. The knowledge that he walks with us and gives us the strength to face the challenges. The blessing of, of knowing that even when you feel weak in service and you trust the Lord, that he comes in behind you and he accomplishes stuff that you could never do. The blessing of knowing Christ. They're immeasurable those blessings. And he did this even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. We've been blessed eternally in Christ. This is God's will for you. It's God's will for you to be holy and blameless in his sight. And you and I have a role. It's not an individual project here. We're gathered together this morning because we're all to be holy and blameless in his sight. And God has given us one another to do good among one another in order that we can help each other be holy and blameless in his sight. 
Let me just sit in our room and read our Bibles and like, did God make me holy and blameless? No, you're going to bump up against people and you're going to sin against people and you're going you're to do things that will need to be corrected and somebody else will lovingly say, hey, brother, hey, sister, that doesn't honor Jesus. And it's okay because we're all in that place where we need that. It's the blessing of being formed into the very people of God who reflect as a collective the very glory of God. And the ultimate will be when we enjoy the full blessings, the eternal blessings in Christ when he returns. When the pain and the, the weakness and the sinful inclinations and the temptation that will all be obliterated and it will be gone. And we will in glorious resurrection bodies enjoy the Lord forever. But until then, until then, we must use the abilities that God has given each of us to do battle. Praying for God to show his power that he will fulfill his promises. I'll remind you what the Apostle Paul said, reflecting on his own life as he was facing death. This is what he wrote. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. I want to be clear here. Eternal life is not the payment for your faithful service. Eternal life is the gift unearned. But when you and I look forward to that gift and the glory and the beauty of it, just as the Apostle Paul did, because of the, 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 the surpassing worth of what Christ has done for us and accomplished for us and the eternal inheritance that we have with him. Because of that, looking to that, we fight the good fight of faith. So let me ask you, are you fighting the good fight? Uh, fight? Are you invested in the kingdom of God? Are you being poured out? Are you stewarding the abilities that God has given you or are you sitting on the sidelines? Now, if you're here you are here. But I want to encourage you, if you are like that, if you're on the sidelines, I want you to talk to fellow church members who do faithfully serve. Look around, there's so many of you. And let me, let me affirm you by your service and say, all the more. Look at those who, who faithfully serve by coming early to greet you. The ones that prepare at home to teach your children and care for them. And listen, sometimes that service for you is that mom or dad who stays and gets the kids ready so that the other can be free to serve in their way. That service too. There are so many ways that people can and do faithfully serve here. 
So let me affirm all of you who are invested and using your abilities. People in sound and AV, security, logistics, benevolence, Awana, facilities, there are so many different ways, and those who teach, those who care, those who welcome, in ways that are official and unofficial aspects of service. Let me encourage you. Well, first of all, let me thank you for serving, but let me encourage you. Keep stewarding what God has given to you. Prayerfully prepare and trust that God will work through you and know that there is a crown of righteousness waiting for you. So if you haven't done so yet, jump in. Covenant with us as a member and become part of that one another, building each other up until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father, we uh, know that um, every good gift ultimately comes from you. Thank you. Thank you for the supreme gift of the Lord Jesus who died to bear the full punishment of our sin. God, that is an indescribable gift as your word describes. And in light of that gift given to us, Father, teach each of us to steward what you've put in our hands, put in our minds, how you've trained our hands for war. And with joy, serve you for the sake of bringing glory to Jesus and helping one another to grow in godliness. God, you're already doing that among us, and I, I thank you for that, and I pray that you'll continue to do that among us. That Christ would be glorified, and we pray it all in his name.